0: Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for thanks for joining. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. It's good
1: to be here. And uh, yeah, excited to be doing this.
0: Yes. Uh, I feel, first of all, I feel like our worlds colliding has been like a long time coming because the work that we do is so synergistic. But the fact that we're here today and you're in my orbit and you're on this podcast just, um, I think, is, is magical. So thank you for joining. Uh, Craig, tell us who you are, what you do, and the impact you're looking to make on the world.
1: Yeah. Well, first, like I said, thank you for having me. I feel the same way. I have really enjoyed getting to know you, and it's good to be here. My name is Craig Foreman. Some people call me Culture Craig, or you can, I guess, nowadays, find me at culturecraig.com, so it has become pretty pretty formalized. <laughs> um, I would say, who am I? You know... My background is organizational psychology. I have a master's degree in organizational psychology. I've always been driven by by people, human potential. Um, and I think my own experiences in the workplaces of some that were really great and some that were, were challenging. Um, and came to this realization somewhere in my life that it, it when organizations take care of people, organizations mm. thrive. So, you know, that and I've always like really... Th- thought a lot about that. How can we build organizations that, that, that serve those two sides that are healthy, successful organizations where people thrive? Um, I've been in the Bay Area, I was, I was, I'm a military vet. So I was I first came out to California when I was in the Air Force, but I fell in love. Went went back to Florida, finished my undergraduate degree in business and came back out to California. Eventually got my master's, like I said, in organizational psychology. And this was when tech was starting to really pick back up out here. And came up through, you know, at first just just tech and I was in education and moved to HR tech. Uh, Came up through HR tech and then about six years ago, I landed an organization called CultureAmp and I was a lead people scientist with CultureAmp for six years, helping organizations use tools to really assess organizational culture in a healthy way, in a human focused way, and then take that and distill it into really great data to help organizations, you know, have a more data informed approach. Uh, along the way in that journey, I also had the opportunity to, to build out and experience design our, our culture first global series of events over four years, as well as help kind of architect the, our culture first community, which when I left had a, a you know, hundred chapters globally. So it was just an amazing experience to not only do this work, but also be out in the world, representing it and getting to know more people and, and being excited by it. And I mean, we're, which leads to about six weeks ago. I officially stepped out onto my own starting Culture C consulting. And uh, my main focus is to help organizations bring um, you know, merge data, you know, and bring healthy data into their approach and, and have a data-informed decision-making process with their leadership level on on this, you know, why are you investing, where are you investing, you know, and are using data to do that to drive really healthy, human-focused organizations. To answer your question about why I do what I do, I think the easy answer is a big part of my journey was uh, about ten years ago getting really clear on my purpose, which is to help the world work better by improving the places we work. And every decision I've made since, professionally, and every, you know, when I when I post content, when I do work, I'm I'm always thinking, how is that in service of my bigger purpose, and how can I continue to go bigger? Um, so you know, that is my purpose. That is you know behind what I do is 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 that desire because I believe that we can transform and, and have an impact on human lives via the workplace. Um, and I want, I want to be part of that. So that's who I am and why I do what I do.
0: Love that. Well, um, you know, it's great to have a, a partner in humanity with some of this work. I, I feel like this is, this is work about humanity. And I think sometimes we um, don't make that connection. I think you're certainly making that connection. But this is really about just improving workplaces organizational performance, enriching lives within the workplace, but also that transfers and has a ripple effect. So yeah. thank you for the work yeah. you're doing. And Likewise. I'm really excited for your launch. <laughs> uh, you know, being at Culture Amp, I'm sure, you know, you've worked with a lot of organizations and seen, you know, benchmarking around what good looks like. So what are some of the factors that you think move an organization from intention? Like, yeah, that culture thing is... It's a good thing to have, or healthy culture is good to impact. Actually, doing it, moving the needle, driving people centered workplaces.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think first, you know, you kind of hit on this a little bit in what you just said, and then even in the question. And so I think about it too is like, what gets in the way? Right. Cause Mm. I don't think, I don't think. It's all, you know, I think, I think sometimes uh, things in organizations get painted as just performative, like they're saying one thing and doing another, but I've met so many HR leaders and organizational leaders. And I, I really do sense, at least in my work, deep passion and, and, and desire to do this. And it keeps, and it does, and it's, it's obvious it's falling short. So I have to reckon with, well, what, what's happening? I think a lot of my work with sense of empathy and saying, why do we, you know, what gets in the way, I think. I think a big part, first, is is the desire is easy. I think the human, the connecting to the human part of all of us that want to help others, want to develop others, and grow others is, is 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 honest oftentimes. But I think when we really dig into doing it, it means there's a level of vulnerability. There's a level of, oh no, what if I don't? What if I ask them how they're doing and I don't know how to respond to that? You know. And so where I go with that is really, I think our leaders need to do continue to do their own work and development to understand what gets in the way. It's easy. It's easy to go in with objectives and goals and numbers and drive that, but we know where that goes. Like that drives to burnout and it, you know, people really aren't happy. I think that deeper connection we want in the workplace and creating all these things we speak about are more human workplaces, more empathetic, being able to be adaptable really requires our leaders and our managers to, to that, that emotional intelligence that you hear more and more about. And you know, how can you, be aware of what's going on for you, and then take that off the table, so you can be there for the people, and and really that idea of developing and growing people. So I think there's that that kind of emotional piece that that we needed to, to level up. You know, it just hasn't been developed over the years. It was not as important twenty and thirty years ago, and and you know, now we have mm-hmm. to transition. I think the other piece is also the real world pressures of running an organization. That there is a reality that if an organization doesn't exist or doesn't is not successful, it, stop, it ceases to exist and so that you know and then when you have very hierarchical organizations what you get is a lot of pressure from the top because that that Mm. it's almost like a scarcity driven anxiety and it becomes about the outcome right it's all about the outcome like okay whatever that's all great stuff but now to survive like go 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 and we what we do is we end up burning out you know and then just we're always kind of having to replace people and so a lot of the work and even the tools i work with talk a lot about doing the work to understand the inputs that will drive the outcome. So getting our organizations to trust that if you can step out of that always reactive mode and always from scarcity, and if we don't, we're going to, you know, die. And, you know, that happens a lot, right? We do have quarterly earnings. We do have to report to our boards. I mean, that's, that's truth, but, but to sit with that and then go let's do an assessment. If we do this assessment we believe that if we really focus on leadership communication and that we really focus on, um, you know, people being authentic in the workplace that we believe that's going to those are kind of core fundamentals to, to success and what are those behaviors focus on those and then measure the outcomes so where i'm mm-hmm. going with that is really changing the mindset in organizations from inputs you know more to the inputs that will drive the outcomes versus the outcomes because it's that's where you get in trouble you see it in sales all the time right like think of wells fargo or something mm-hmm. where, where everybody's so focused on numbers 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 outcome at all costs and then they bad behaviors show up to get the outcomes versus saying no this is it's going to be around conversations. It's going to be around having the right you know, training to make sure that our, our representatives get those outcomes that we're looking for. So I hope that made sense, but I think those are the two big ones that came to mind, both from an emotional perspective, but also from an organizational reality perspective of dealing with 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 the, the challenges of, of having a successful organization.
0: Yeah. And I, I like the fact that you talk about the conversation around barriers, because I think what I'm seeing, at least with the work that I'm doing, is there's a lot of appetite to like add on to demonstrate like we're doing this culture thing. Well, right. And it's just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall when you're really not having a sustainable listening mechanism that feeds in and feeds out the, 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 the objective reality of where you are um, and where you want to go from a cultural perspective. So I think what we end up having is things like, you know, implementing the, you know, the wellness apps, And, you know, the CEO saying, well, well, we did this, we're doing wellness, right? And at the same time, behaviorally, we're sending emails on the weekend, we're um, asking people to skip family events to work, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. So to your point, culture is really just matching words with actions. And I think we oftentimes think about it as like programs or initiatives or things we have to add on when really we need to just assess what we're currently doing and sometimes dismantle things too and stop doing things to create the culture we're looking to build.
1: hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, like fundamentally, two things. One as you talked about, you're right. Like tools, even culture, you know, I worked with culture. Amp. I'll continue to work with culture. Amp. I plan on helping more organizations bring in tools. I think culture Amp is the, 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 really the pinnacle, um, tool for organizations to, to do assessment and to get really great data that can and drive action it's still just a tool i've seen people misuse mm-hmm. it it's a wonderful tool. it's been built with with you know with humans in mind all all along but if it gets turned on and used and a manager walks in a room and says so you're all saying this who said that you undermine everything about the tool so it is just a piece of technology it's powerful but it's the people and i think it's the same thing with those others that you talked about that tools a piece of technology is not going to save us and this goes back to my work of really Let's bring good, solid data. You know, maybe your people want more tools. Maybe they want fewer tools. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're happy at ten o'clock at night taking. Email. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of build the culture that's going to that's that's going to create success for you and your organization. Be open and honest about the culture and why you've built it attract the right people that are well if you're wall street and you think you know competition at all costs and and you know we, we're driven by money here that might not be my value set but i'd rather you put it on the wall and you go out to the world and says we're looking for is this right for you if not cool versus you know i heard the term say catfishing oh we believe xyz yeah. and you show up and they do something completely different and how do you get to that place you know again i don't i don't claim to be the end all, be all expert on every company is different. I think what it is is implementing a really effective listening strategy, and that is a it's not just a survey. A survey is the first part of collection, yes. and then how do we take that and distill it? A lot of information distill it down to something to understand, at hopefully all the way through your managers and your team at the team level, and then then take that and say now what are the areas we're going to focus on, and what are the some actions that we can take, and then repeat and just continue. There's no finish line. You never, you know, with so many other things with leaders, it's like you solve something, you solve something. This is an iterative process that will always go on. The environment will change, the the people will change, your organization will change. um, And it's really believing that that's the process that informs the decisions on what you do or don't focus on, you know? Mm. And so, you know, maybe a foosball table is exactly what your people want. I don't know, you know, but my my gut tells me they probably really want more open and honest communication with their leaders than they do especially now, foosball table. But again, <laughs> I've worked with a lot of companies. Different things work for different companies. There's different cultures and there, and there are different objectives. So it's that's what I'm really driving for is helping organizations mm-hmm. stop thinking they know and and bringing in a more iterative process that's in sync with their people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a lot of times, uh, and again, we're, we're doing similar work, so you probably have experienced this too. But it usually is the hard stuff that we need to change. I mean, the foosball is easy, right? The foosball table is really easy. It's, it's a cost, but I mean, I wish that was the issue most of the times, so but it usually it's much more deeply seated. And, you know, sometimes we get the response, well, you know, culture C, we wanted you to come in and tell us, you know, what our culture was like today and help us align on what it is tomorrow, but not like that we wanted you to recommend training or something else that would be a little bit easier to implement. Um, What do you think the barrier is between this really deep seated, sustainable work that we're trying to implement and what the expectations of executives and leaders are around this work?
1: I think it's tricky because number one, you have to have a kind of, this is, I mean, I think a lot, I I use the model, right brain, left brain, I, you know, there's, there's, you know, these models change and shift, but just using that as a framework of like kind of, you know, left brain would be, uh, analytical numbers, language, you know, direct connecting dots where right brain would be, you know, less of that. It's, it's nonlinear, no language time doesn't, Mm. you know, the, the right brain, right. right. Relationships. Um, and I think that, in running organizations, there's a big emphasis on left brain thinking, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially, you know, and, and there's a, there's a critical need for that. But I think what we've done is it's much harder to quantify, to validate a lot of the right brain stuff, right? What, what is the value of relationships? What is the value of teams working together well? And how do you even measure that? Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is we kind of over-index to the left brain stuff and it's, it all becomes very analytical, very quantitative, which is important. But when we over-index it, there's a kind of a human soul that gets gets lost in that. And I think people are are, are, um, are struggle, but, but we all have the, you know, I get it. I understand exactly why. And, and it's, it makes complete sense. I'm not judging that. I th- what I think is we need to kind of continue to work for that balance and how do we bring in, you know, and I think the, the tools that I work with are helping bring a story and bring data to more of that kind of bringing some analytical to more of this right brain thing. So we can step that up because it's hard to get your head around. There's not, you can't always define it with language. Sometimes you know it when you feel it, right? And that's the challenge that when push comes Mm. to shove, the knee jerk reaction is to slip back into, if I can't touch it, see it versus can you sit, can you sit in the pocket for a minute? Do you believe that, 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 that doing this training with your managers and really leaning into it's not going to change overnight, but in a year or two years that it is the path forward towards success. Um, and, and who's there really helping guide that journey. I've worked with some amazing CEOs that get it. And I've also worked with some that really struggle. And I, and I understand, I don't, I put myself in their shoes. That's a tricky Mm. role, especially when you've got people have invested lots and lots of money in you and you got to go sit in front of the front of the board and answer. Um, so I, I have a ton of empathy, but I, I just think it's a very human, you know, when anxiety spikes, we go back to, you know, what we can touch, feel and see. And I think it's continuing to build value. And use the left brain stuff to build value in the right brain stuff, um, and, and really tell tell those stories with data and organizations. Um, you know, and then when we start to see results, you know, it's amazing what happens. But it begins it begins with that. And then you also said in the beginning, you know, when I go in or you know they they push back. What what I really love, look, I'm I don't think I think of myself more as a right brain person, relationships mm. and facilitation and reading the room. And I think my journey at Coltramp was awesome because it, t- it took a person like me, a right brain person deep into the left brain world and learned how to connect those dots in a really powerful way. So when I sit in front of a room, it's kind of like a doctor coming back. Like I just ran a, a, a completely comprehensive p- blood panel mm-hmm. and I'm sitting with you and I say, Angela, it looks like you're, you know, your liver's fatty. How's your diet? It's not <laughs> right? me. I'm not talking to you. I mean, all I'm doing is facilitating a conversation yes. and using really solid data that you believe that you trust the mm-hmm. data And now we're having a real conversation. So if you can say, "Craig, I don't want to talk to you about my 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 diet. That's not what you're here for." Be like, "Okay, well, you're here for your health. You you hired me. I mean, if you need to go talk to me about your knee, you should go do that. But that's you know, you asked me to run this this assessment, and here's what I'm coming Mm -hmm. back with. So I love it because it kind of takes me out of the equation, so to speak. Yes, it's not about me. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's that that's pretty powerful. I mean, I think what's about me is the ability to disarm and hold the conversation. So I often think I'm more of a facilitator than anything else that has an mm-hmm. understanding and background in organizations, but I, I've found almost cover in the data because it, now it's not about me saying I'm the, the end-all be-all expert, I'm not. I'm, I'm an expert on how to run these programs and, and have great, really solid conversations. And look, they push back, I you know it's happened, but I know they're gonna go lay in bed that night and have to deal with the reality of the data they just saw, I mean, mm-hmm. so I can take a little, I can take that, I'm, I'm the messenger, but I don't attach myself. I'm only, I'm only delivering the, 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 the the message that that has come through the data. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think where, um, yeah, data is, is powerful. And, you know, I, I, I tend to relate that whole journey of kind of like acknowledgement that, you know, digesting it, like coming to terms with it. It's kind of a grieving process. And I don't know if you feel the same when you're working with your clients, but you have to really create that space to guide them through reaction to, okay, now what are we going to do about this? How do I need to change as a leader? But truly, it's a grieving process and you have to create that open spaciousness for them to process.
1: I love that you're saying that. You know, I... One of the last things I did at Cultram was we ran a series of events and we we did one in in London. <clears throat> it was we did one virtually so you can see what I'm about to talk. It was we did a, a studio record, but we also did a private event with Esther Perel. Mm. And amazing. I mean every time I'm around her, I've you know I've worked with her a couple of times on, at events, but also watching her talks. She's just a special human. <clears throat> and our CEO was in conversation with her and he asked a question, something around like leadership and decision making at the executive level and the challenges that come with that. <clears throat> and I knew she, she. She. She oftentimes will come in with like a left. You like where did that? How she connected the dots? Mm. But what she went to on this case that really spun me around and was really brilliant was she said, you know, we have to acknowledge when we make decisions. There's a whatever decision we make, we have to let. We're letting go, even consciously or subconsciously, of everything else we're not going to do. The decisions we're not making. You know, and so that she, so her point was like, it, 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 that idea of grieving is something we need. I think as a culture, we struggle with that in general. We mm. want to push away from loss. But the truth is, loss is something we deal with every moment, particularly leaders that are making big decisions about organizations. They're, they're letting go of the desired outcome they might have wanted. They're letting go of, you know, maybe the decision was around employees. And, and like, there's just a lot happening, and every decision that gets made at that level comes with some sort of let, loss. And her point was, to your point, is acknowledging the grieving so i mean i think this goes now now we're back in that in that whole right brain world of of relationship (laughs) and you know even at the executive level like how do we allow space for for grief calling it that or not and i think it's just that it's space Mm -hmm. you know it's the same thing i said before about you know why aren't we taking action because we're scared we're not gonna know what to do and the irony is you know for instance you know i i often advise people to to run a check-in at the beginning of every meeting and my challenge to anybody is do you pick a particular meeting and run a check-in in in that meeting for the next eight meetings. It can be simple. It can be quick, but if it's honest and people can show up and share what's what they're just checking really quickly, it will change your entire meeting. It will because when people can show up and be like, Oh wow, it's just good knowledge to know that you're, you're tired and you've got a toddler that's keeping you up all night for the last two nights and you're in this meeting that changes how I'm going to approach you, how the team may approach you or, Hey, I'm super excited and this is whatever it might be. And, but, but I've also, you know, Brene Brown on a, on a podcast, she was, before she went on her hi- hiatus last summer, was talking to her office manager and they were talking about check-ins and, and the question was, well, why don't we do it? And, and more, cause they, they do that a lot as well. And Brene was like, cause I think they don't, they're scared of, they won't know what to say. And I think she nailed it, that we don't do these things. They're so simple, right? Well, it's just check-in, but the fear is somebody's going to share something and I'm not going to know what to say. And the irony, back to our point about <laughs> dealing with grief is you don't need to say anything it's the mm-hmm. space the space mm-hmm. helps us process the grief the sp- giving the space for you know i've done it I, I lead executive offsites. you know and it's amazing to see behind the scenes like when an executive starts crying or like these are humans dealing with real human stuff mm-hmm. and um when they can show up that way with their peers they become a better team it's the same thing you know dropping the facade these are human experiences yes. and people are, are, are grieving and dealing with stuff and there's hard decisions to be made and Am I in the right place? All those Mm. things. So, I I think, I guess, as I'm talking, the answer I think with grief is you don't, you know, it's not like I'm an expert in grief, but I do know if we we can create a nice space for people to show up and just be honest that I'm grieving about something, I'm challenged with something, that in itself is pretty powerful to human.
0: I think we shut it
1: down because we're so scared of getting too close to it.
0: Yeah. Or I've heard some leaders say, you know, it just slows everything down. You're right. And that's the other, I think, right brain, left brain tug of war that's going on where I think there's a fundamental basic need for all of us. Something we can that I can say confidently is that all humans want to be seen and heard.
1: Everyone. I love you said that. You know, part of my journey was I, I worked for a for two years at a company called Achievers that, that, that launched that does recognition and rewards <clears throat> for organizations. And my big takeaway after two years, and that's held ever since in every other piece of work that I do is humans fundamentally want to be seen and heard. That's recognized. It's every human now how they want it. Not everybody wants to be pulled up publicly, not everybody, but, but everybody mm-hmm. wants, we're not safe as humans if we're not acknowledged by the group, if we're not seen and heard, we're, we're, we're pack animals, right? That mm-hmm. We want to know that mm-hmm. we are connected in part. So I think you nailed it spot on that, you know, I had another thought. You said something earlier, but we'll get back to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, let me know if it comes to mind as we we keep, continue to chat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question that uh, you know you may have to think about for for a little bit or not. Um, who owns culture?
1: I don't have to think about it. We okay. all own culture. <laughs> we all yeah. own culture, and I think that's one of the biggest fallacies is when we start pointing fingers and thinking someone else is going to come fix it. However, I do I do want to say that we also have to acknowledge our level, particularly probably in any situation, but particularly when we build these hierarchical situations of the level of influence we have over culture. Mm. The new employee coming in has a way less influence impact on the organizational culture as your CEO does. But I would still say to that new employee, you are part. If you are sitting and complaining and upset about the culture and that's all—that's what you're doing, which is perfectly fine, that that is your contribution to culture so you know in a healthy environment that you know coltramp was really people showed up they're so excited this, this company has great reviews and i'd and i i would say to new employees um awesome you're here super excited like i want to, you know my hope is you take all these things that you perceive are here but if you just take and don't give back then eventually we'll deplete this thing and as we grow we have to keep building a wonderful culture now you're part of that so what's your mm. contribution what's your i say? what's your seasoning in the soup you know um to all that I remember what I wanted to say before. Yes. <laughs> this is how my brain works sometimes. Um, what I wanted to say before was when you said, Oh, we don't have time for that. Let's get to the work, yada, yada, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a classic example of the, the, the right brain kicking in and shutting down the left brain. It's too hard to get your head around. I don't understand what's going on here. Can we just get to this thing that I can get my head around and do the work? And, you know, that's in then, and I think about all the, how many people say the meetings suck at work because mm-hmm. there's no, there's no relate. It's, it's hard to get your head around it. I used to joke, you know, I led a ton of meetings, both building our community and internally. Um, and it was kind of a joke, but it went on for years. And it was true that, you know, I, I have a whole framework that, I, that we built to, to, to train facilitators on how to lead culture first meetings, which works really great across lots, you know, of mm-hmm. meetings. And we can talk about that in a minute, but Um, I would, you know, I would joke sometimes that 80% of our meetings are spent on connection and, you know, welcoming people in and 20% on work and we got an amazing amount done (laughs) and stuff kept happening and it kind of defied what you would think. But the truth is in most of our meetings, if we, if we connect and get in the right space, the work can be done so fast.
0: Oh my gosh, Um, yes.
1: So, so I kind of, you know, I know I'm not going to walk into an organization, tell everybody to stop, you know, have 80% of your meetings all about warm, fuzzy and 20% about the work that people would, I would not be working but when I do it I found that you know it's it, it's a fallacy that there's not value to connection mm. it's just again you can't quantify it you can't put your finger on it we need somebody in these rooms to just say look let me just represent and speak up so we can have a balance we need both connection and work
0: yes and I think you know more and more now that we are working in such a hybrid asynchronous environment, I think people who are spending meetings talking about tasks and project plans are just like this could have been an email this could have been in monday.com this could have been on a Google Doc you could have so I didn't
1: put it in slack if you need to do it that way like right like do we need to like you know as I'm as I'm stepping into my own world this is funny you say that and I don't try to cut <laughs> you off but it's been really interesting now I don't want to take away I get that if I was running an organization that had 40 or 50 people there would be meeting it's important I get it sure. and we do need to meet but I'm also struck now that I am in control of my own agenda of like how much of my time was taken up with these things yes. that I'm like, I don't know how they connected and I don't want to push. I, every company does it and I would do it too. I get it. So I'm, I'm still processing that, but just mm-hmm. when I'm just doing my own thing. And right now it's small. It's, it's, you know, a lot of it's me and working with, with, with partners. I'm like, Oh gosh, like 15 meetings a week is you know, that are focused is, is moving the needle And like I'm thinking about all the meetings I'm not having to go to. And Again, they were important, but I just go back to organizations like think about that. Make sure the meetings people are going to are good and they're effective. Mm-hmm. I don't think – I think we, we often pack and say meetings suck. Me, no, bad meetings suck. Yes. People meet. That's what we do. Humans meet. Good meetings are amazing, and I've seen it over and over and over. And when people walk out feeling, wow, I came into this. I feel better leaving than I came in. That's awesome. And it happens and I know it happens and I'll and I'll and I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody that says that's not possible.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean there there is a meanings are a modality for movement and for building relationships. Oh, like no, no doubt. But how you use them, I think, is is the key. You know, um, I think we you know, I've I've discovered voice um audio messages. It turned my world around because I'm like, I can just rather than having you know, a meeting about an update, I can literally just say something into a device and it gets sent and then people can react to it how they want to, right? They want to digest it. They want to respond via text or another audio message. It provides having an equitable kind of communication toolbox, I think is important because not everybody, some people need time to think, right? You're going to, once you start building your team, you're going to find your communication method, the way you prefer it, might not be the same as somebody else's. So hmm. I think there's just this big, again, being seen and heard, going right back to that fact that all that can be underpinned, I think, with some of our day-to-day operations as well and how we manage. Absolutely.
1: Can I share the framework? I feel like I teased it. Yes, I should, please. It I think, yes. I, you know, I, It's funny. We built it. The history here is that we were doing really human-focused. People loved the events we were running, and then we decided we wanted to build a community and empower more people to do those themselves. So the, one of the questions is, okay, great. Like, How do you distill what we're doing? So it forced us to, to analyze that and come up with a framework to train people on how to have really great human-focused events. But what what we landed with is something that I've, I've used with leaders running a budget meeting or a whole day offsite, and it's just an amazing framework. It's pretty simple, but I, I you know, again, another challenge follow this and see what your people say about your meetings a great meeting has a welcome so how do you welcome people into the space right so virtually for me maybe playing some music giving the first five minutes to just let people get there say hi just think about they're coming into your home the second is connection um that before we get to anything else take a moment and again if it's a 30 minute meeting it can simply be take a quick breath one word what are you bringing in today change your name and zoom your last name to your word boom so the rest of the meeting, that words up, which I, I think is really powerful. So now we've done welcome connection. Now the work. What are we here to do? Every time we gather, we're here for a reason. Like that could be a workshop. It could be a budget review. It could be that's that that purpose or why are we coming together? There's a reason we're here. Don't waste my time. Um, the action. What are we going to do next? So next steps, right? So great. We looked at the review. Uh, you know, Angela, you're gonna you're gonna go ahead and you know update those numbers. I'm, we're gonna put together whatever. So you get it. The action. Next steps. And finally, and probably often overlooked and the most important, the close, that mm. every great event has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you know it, we all know it when we're in meetings and it just runs out of time and it's just unresolved. So, and it's just an energetic thing, taking a moment, wrapping it up, You know, if you have time, letting people share maybe a reflection, some gratitude, um, just overall themes. But just very different than the action and the and, and the work is like just you know whoever's leading it just take a moment to close this meeting. It's over. It's done. Wrap it up, and you know that's the, I think one of the biggest mistakes is that we run out of time or we're not really sensitive to the that 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 whole journey that while we're together. And like I said, it could be thirty minutes. It could be a full day event. Though those things hold, and um, it's pretty simple. And I and I, I I'm telling you, if if you could after a meeting look back and say I hit every one of those, I bet you you don't have to even say it that you're doing that your people, you're going to hear feedback. Oh my, those, those are really good meetings. So that's, that's a challenge. It's been field tested, at least in my opinion, I've seen Mm -hmm. it done thousands of times and um, I think it's pretty powerful and something to share with the world.
0: Yeah. I am a big fan of the bookends. I call it the bookends bookends, of, uh, you know, and really starting with something that I think is underestimated is that beginning of building the safe space. And I think it's even more important when you're, you know, on a, on a zoom call, for example, and, Uh, You want to create an environment where people can contribute and be seen and heard and and contribute in a way that feels authentic to them. So, um, And in the spirit of wrapping, (laughs) I think that, you know, I would love to hear as we wrap this conversation, because we have covered a lot, the journey of this call, of this call, this uh, this podcast recording has been, you know, we talked about um, certainly, you know, what culture is the right brain, left brain? Uh, I guess acknowledgement that those things can be a tug of war when we talk about culture. What it means to actualize culture, and uh, how to um, you know talk with executives and leadership around creating that bridge between what people are feeling, saying, the reality of the culture in the organization, and what we think it is. So, give us something to wrap with. What do you think? folks on, on listening to this, our audience needs to hear to kind of make, take the next step and implement this within their own organization?
1: I think one thing that I often ask people, they'll talk about the initiatives and what they're doing in their organizations. And I'll say, you know, well, we're investing in training or we're investing in, you know, leadership communication, we're investing in compensation. And I'll say, why? You know, and I mm. And, you know, oftentimes you just start going down that path, you realize that there's not a lot of, I think, and historically hasn't been a lot of data or insights to help make those decisions. And you see, and now we see all these initiatives or a lot of money being spent on DE&I and not seeing the outcomes that we're, what we're wanting. And I think, I think what I'm, what I realize and I help uncover is that we can do a better job of assessing and understanding, making more informed decisions. And, but, and I don't think people are ignoring it. I think they don't, they don't quite know that there's been a lot of a, a, a evolution in this. So they're still operating mm-hmm. the way it kind of had to be and used to be. And so I think one big thing is just helping the world open, kind of more and more people realize that with a, with a relatively small investment, you can really assess all of your future investments. And, and it's, you know, it's, I'm always blown away by, by how much they spend to let have somebody else do a half half the job that can be done versus I know there's a small investment can be made that can really up your game and and make all your other decisions more impactful with more data saying they're going to drive impact. So that's one. And the other big one, I'd say that I've learned in my journey, you know, and I talk to leaders of organizations and they're talking about policies and procedures and it's like, so to fix it, and I'm pointing outwards, fixing it, the the irony in all of it is fix it inward. The the thing that's you're struggling with most, we're not inclusive enough. We're not, how can you be more inclusive in particularly as you go up you know the, the levels that the things that you think need to be fixed you know how are you how are you fixing it for yourself how are you doing your own personal work because i think oftentimes and we fix it in ourselves we can fix it in the order the, the, the answers become way more obvious and not as complicated as you thought but when we externalize everything i think there's a problem out there to be fixed in versus looking in so to fix it fix it that's pointing out and pointing in are are kind of two big ones that come to mind
0: mm love that. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's like um to your point the outward, you know, everyone else needs to be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh you know, usually it's it starts at the leadership level. It, it always starts at the leadership level.
1: There's a lot of and, impact they have. There's a lot of influence, mm-hmm. you know, and oftentimes yeah when they detach themselves from it. I mean, there's a, you know, things do need to be fixed, policies need to be put in place, but the answer becomes more obvious when when they're living it, thinking about it, working through the difficult things in their own small teams and groups, mm. you know. So do your work. Understand that the better you do your work and get yourself out of the way, the better you can lead an organization.
0: Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for your time dropping the gems of insight. If people wanted to reach out and needed help with the right brain, left brain intersection, Uh, of culture uh, how would they be able to get in contact with you i
1: love this because for so long i had another answer and i have a new answer uh (laughs) www.culturecraig.com which will take you to the culture my culture seed consulting uh website it's so exciting to share that because i for the longest time didn't have that you can also linkedin is my spot please connect with Mm -hmm. me on linkedin you can find me you can find my organization there um i love to stay connected there i love to be in touch and um just please drop me if you do drop me a note let me know you heard this podcast and Um, So give me a little bit of insight on on why you're reaching out. But I would love to stay connected there. Um, Those two right now are the the main ways uh, more to come. But that's how you can stay in touch with me.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Craig, for all the work you do. And uh, we'll be sure to drop all those links in the show notes so folks can can reach out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.